Hello, my name is Benjamin Appel, and you listen to Thoroughly Good Classical Podcast. I'm terribly sorry, it's the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. Okay, perfect. I knew there was something missing. Hello, my name is Benjamin Appel, and you listen... <laughs> Hello, my name is Benjamin Appel, and you listen to Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. Okay. <laughs> That's never end. Let's take longer than the entire interview. <laughs> Hello, my name is Benjamin Appel, and you listen to Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. Uh, the thing I need to find out from you first is what are the questions that you're normally asked that you don't like being asked? What, you're just going to shake your head? <laughs> that's, that's how it will work out in the next few minutes. No, there are no questions. Um, maybe there are n no answers, but uh, there, you can ask any question. Yeah, that's not really what I, I just imagine that you get interviewed a lot. I'm just trying to get something out of my bag at the same time I imagine that you get interviewed a lot and that you probably hear the same questions over and over again that's alright sometimes in English sometimes but what are the questions <laughs> <laughs> are you spying on other colleagues no, no I'm just <laughs> God, wow this is going to be hard work no really what are the questions that you offer that somebody like you often gets asked very often I get asked about my one of my teachers Dietrich Fischer-Diskau that's a question which comes up very often right um that's all right, that's fine. They're, yeah. having a lo they're not laughing at you. Well, you don't know. You said I should be funny, so they're really not laughing at you. I'm I think that's one of the major questions then, um, how I came to London, why I started singing, why I came from business to singing. These are the major questions, I think. Uh, I watched a documentary last night on Sky about Janet Jackson, who, who talked about how when she came to London, or when she went on tour, I think, for her second album, um, most interviewees, uh, most interviewers were asking her not about the album, but in fact about her brother. Wow. You know, people were far more interested in the brother than the fact that she had sort of broken free of her father and, 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 and released a an album. And that makes me wonder what you think when people are always asking you about your teacher. Well, thank God I don't have a, another brother who is a musician, um, so it's only a teacher. It's only a teacher nine. Um, I mean, does that get in the way? No, because I really admire him and he's an absolute idol to me. Um, what I don't like is when people go to concerts and have their ears tuned for certain sounds and they expect that you sound the same or they think you s you're sounding the same. Um, so there are two opinions which go completely opposite. That's the only thing where I think it can be damaging being taught by such, such an important person. And when you say you don't like, I mean, does that mean that you get quite angry? I mean, not in the auditorium, that would be really awkward. No, I don't get angry, but I think we also as musicians we have to be so careful when we go to concerts uh, as a listener that we go in with open ears we know often the repertoire that we don't compare i think as soon as we compare with other musicians with other interpretations then it's the death of music somehow and uh, so i did once concerts in india and in front of audiences which have never heard uh, classical, Western classical music before. And it was the most refreshing moment in my life because you had these people being completely astonished by the music itself and they didn't expect anything. What was the occasion? What, can you describe what was going on there? Um, so I did a tour through India and started off in Chennai. Um, the Goethe Institute there organized a festival about water. And they were supposed to have a festival on the beach uh, in a pavilion 
where the river just uh, goes into the sea and it was one of the most polluted most polluted rivers in the world and they decided or i decided to sing schöne müllerin bei schubert which is a cycle about the relationship with nature where the young miller's boy talks to a brook and nature becomes a friend and you realize how in the last 200 years actually the balance between humankind and nature went completely off um, but unfortunately the local government cancelled last minute so we performed in a background of a uh, gallery so a lot of people came to this festival because there were also other musicians um, involved I did another concert together with a Carnatic singer where we few did a fusion of uh, German song and and uh, Indian classical music um, so I did Schöne Müllerin there in underneath trees um, with all the honking of the cars um, with monkey coming down on stage while performing so it was a very very unusual situation and we are so used to concert halls and you know certain traditions and how we bow and how we walk on and where we stand in front of a piano and all of that and when people are allowed to clap and so on so it was very refreshing for me to experience actually something like that do you seek that kind of thing out because i hear that described to me and think uh, i'd be quite tense I mean, obviously, I'm not performing, but but I wonder whether actually the thing that makes me tense is the kind of thing that you deliberately seek out. I think it's a mixture you have to look out for as an artist. Of course, particularly what I do most is German songs, and it's quite a traditional audience there. So you can't really mess around with them. You have to appreciate the tradition. You have to appreciate what they want, what they want to have. But on the other hand, you also have to look out for something new but we have to, you have to have you have to ask questions about the traditions about how you perform uh, what you can change uh, and therefore i think it's very important also to go new ways but it's always hard to find a balance between not upsetting people and being inclusive so presumably that makes it easier when you're going to an audience that wouldn't have heard that kind of music before because there's less likelihood of people being having their expectations dashed. Well, probably on the other side, when I'm only performing in India, I probably would long to have a wonderful audience, a knowledgeable audience like at Big Mahal, for example. But uh, it probably is always, the grass is always greener on the other side, I guess. But it's, as it is in life, it's always about balance. Where did your thinking around that stem from? Where did, because that, that is distinctive thinking. Where, where did that start for you? I don't know. I, I had many different faces in my life. Um, I had a period where I was very conservative, very locked up. Uh, then I came to London and London opened me up uh, massively. Um, I became very, I think so, for Bavarian. Very, oh, very modest. For very to <laughs> tolerant for Bavarian. Um, so I changed a lot my personality, also my professional life, uh, from a banker to a singer. So somehow I think there was a lot of reflecting and asking questions in my life as well. Um, and I think that's also what I hope to do not just in the music asking questions and finding interpretations through that but also asking questions towards our industry about the communication we have with an audience the link we have an, with an audience uh, who is our audience and and who are the places where we are performing how did you how did your personality change well you should ask other people oh, no. yeah, I love, love the way that you started on a very low note there <laughs> a really sort of intimidating doom laden way how did your personality change? I think your surrounding very often change, changes you 
Um, I grew up in a Bavarian town, um, in a boys' choir, um, very traditional, wonderfully loving parents um, with whom I still have a wonderful connection. Um, but friends and so on have a huge influence. Nature has a huge influence around you. The music you are listening to, um, and then you come to London, and it is a huge change, and particularly 2010, when I came here, I thought London was absolutely thriving, a wonderful city. Um, everyone. Before the Olympics. And yes. Was, uh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of excitement. Yeah. And, you know, everyone can hold on the, on the street uh, in the hand, with, on their hands, whomever or whatever mm. they want. Everyone can dress up what they want. Uh, you can go to the most wonderful classical music concerts. You can go to some underground concerts. You can do whatever you want. And so it looked to me like there are no limits. And of course, then you also stretch your limits in many different ways. Uh, so how did it challenge you then? If it, if it changed your personality and it sort of, I get the impression it sort of opened you up a bit, how did it challenge you? Well, I think every opening up in, in life and being more tolerant and so on, of course, it always challenges you because you have to rethink your structure, you have to rethink your construction, your entire system and your entire convictions and opinions work on. So it's, it's a challenge on, on every level and a lot of reflecting and thinking. And when you said something or you had a conviction about certain things, you, you just have to sort it out with yourself that you might change it a tiny bit. Uh, and what do people back home make of your move? Depends, my brothers. When I come back home, uh, we have the same conversations than 25 years ago. So the entire life, they didn't change. They don't ask really what I'm doing, where I've been, um, whom I've met and so on. It's just, but it's also somehow refreshing that there is this place where you come back and you actually yes. can connect from the old times. My parents uh, are wonderful people who are traveling now sometimes with me. That's the only way so they can see me. And it's also for them great to come to special places like last time in Barcelona where they stay for three, four days and in my free time I spend some time with them and, and they see some performances and, and they, I think they like that. You sound, I mean, obviously it's the first time I've met you and I don't want to sort of overly flatter you, but uh, you seem utterly sort of calm and collected about everything and you speak in a very matter-of-fact way as though this is almost like you're reading from a telephone directory. But, but um, you, you know, you talk about moving from or, or, or going back home, going back to Bavaria and it, it sounds as though you're just sort of slipping into a different uh, a, a different experience yes exactly yeah yeah that's that's a nice metaphor um, and that but that requires sort of the ability to to transition back into different walks of life relatively quickly well to be honest in the beginning I also uh, struggled with it because somehow you think I'm not bringing the who I am back home, or I'm not. I can't really bring to London who I was uh, in my previous life. But uh, so I also learned not to fight it. I think that's also something what I learned in music. I, when I started off singing, I walked on stage and tried to push everything away what I experienced during the day. If there was a unpleasant email, or I had a fight with a manager or with a member of a family, or so on, I always tried to completely blend out my life, who I am, and try to focus on the music and the performance. And this didn't work for me somehow. I got stuck. And uh, over years, I really now try to embrace actually my life, what I experienced. Um, so I hope that this is also changing my interpretation every evening. It's almost like psychotherapy for myself. But it, it changes my, my interpretation and I hope that it keeps also interesting, that the people keep 
being interested in, in my performance, but also for me, it's a wonderful way to explore different paths. And I think that's similar also with uh, what, what you asked me, with different lives in different places. It's something, it's also part of you, and you just have a focus more on a different aspect of who you are and, and what life you are, in what life you are living right now. You sound irritatingly grown up and sensible in a way that makes me feel really childish. <laughs> 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 yes, it's like, <laughs> how, can I, how can I be more grown up like him? Um, <clears throat> you, you're, we're, we're talking because uh, you're releasing a recording of Winterizer with James Ballew. Another one. Uh, well, yes, yes. In my research, I was surprised to discover that the world needs another recording of it. Why, why, why would you do that, please? Definitely another recording. Um, <laughs> because all the rest are just not up to scratch. <laughs> That's what every singer thinks. Right, um, I recorded a lot of other things beforehand. Oh, yes, uh, also yeah, mixed, yeah. mixed albums, um, some more... Un more unusual for, for classical recital uh, concert goers and Winterreise has been a, a, a piece of course which is the Mount Everest of all songs and you have to perform it um, a lot and I think I performed 60-70 times in the past so it's a piece which grew on me and what I find most extraordinary more than other pieces is that it is really a journey where you you ask one question about a little bird or a phrase or a note and you don't get answers. <laughs> and you get ten more questions. And it's somehow... That's therapy. That it's therapy. another therapy. <laughs> yes, yes. Everyone should perform Winterreise. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, when, when I found this magical place in the Swiss Alps, we might talk about that later, uh, where I found this tower on 2,300 meters which is built only for five years and then it has to, has to be uh, destroyed again because it's a na natural resource. Um, I really saw this tower and I thought that's a perfect place for Winterreise. I somehow connected immediately with it. And then I had a conversation with John Britcutt, uh, who is well known in this country for his uh, musical um, documentaries. And he was really keen to do this project. So first was a film. To and then I thought, when I do the film, I actually should also record an album to it. So it was the other way around. Um, so I, I, really didn't, I really didn't want to record <laughs> right, it. Right. So actually what you're doing is you're blaming Br John Bridcut for saying yes. If John Bridcut said no, there wouldn't be another recording. I'm grown up. I don't blame <laughs> any other people. But um, it really, it was last minute decision. We talked last... Uh, August, James and I talked about this recording and uh, beginning of October we went to the recording studio and, and uh, we organized everything ourselves uh, in these few m months. So it was really absolutely last minute and w it was the only three days we both were free uh, till the end of the year. So it was really so last minute. you recorded minute. it in three days? Yeah. I mean, it's one hour... I've read the Dallas program. I know what's going on. It's one hour, 12 minutes, all in one go. It's epic. And you recorded it all in three days. Well, we didn't have more time. You have to do it then. Again, it's that, that sort of <laughs> calm, collected, straightforward manner that is terrifying. <laughs> Come on. Um, are you not, is it not a daunting work? To, I mean, you've sung it 60 or 70 times, so it's not going to be a daunting work now. But is the, it is a daunting work, though. Oh, of course. I remember 12 no longer, 13, 14 years ago, 
I was asked to the Winterreise and I have to say I've never listened to it beforehand. Right. Although I was singing and studied singing and so on, but I never listened to the entire cycle. I had a concert uh, on a Sunday in Germany, in Heidelberg, and my father afterwards picked me up and drove me back to my hometown, Regensburg, it's a four hours drive. And I started to learn in the car the first two songs. So when we arrived at home, I realized, you know, there are still 22 more songs to go. And this was on a Sunday and the concert was the next week on a Saturday. So I only had Monday to Friday to learn all these songs, which is completely not ideal. Everyone tells no, you... I'd have, describe it as crazy. Actually. Everyone says you have to work on months, months or years on something like that. Without, you know, I didn't know the notes. I didn't hear any of these songs before in my life. It was completely planned. So I worked every morning from six or seven till 11, 12 in the night. But looking back, it was amazing because you spend so much time and so intense time under such pressure on this music that it's so, there's nothing else in life. Um, and then on Sunday, on Saturday, I performed this piece of copy. And you still are an hour away from the concert. You have a rehearsal and there's still song number eight, which no word is right. And you, you really panic like crazy and panic like crazy. And then you walk out and actually it's extraordinary what your brain in such situations is doing. So the pianist plays a two bars prelude and you still think, what are the first three? What are the first three words? Oh my God, what are you, you can't remember it all. And then suddenly in the last, 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 last moment, it kicks in. Is there an element of you who quite likes telling that story that you, that you hadn't, you know, are you sort of... Does the rebel in you quite like telling that story? The idea that you learnt it in the car and you learnt it a few days before the performance and actually didn't know what was going on until, until you opened your mouth to sing. I wonder whether there is, there is a bit of you that kind of likes that, a rebellious streak. Well, we finally get there. To the <laughs> of, no, of course, I mean, uh, yes. Uh. <laughs> because I can, I can hear, I can see people who, a certain type of audience member who would probably go, oh, how dare you, like you say, you know, you should have, you should have taken longer over that. I've paid good money to hear this. Any other. I expect 14 years of preparation. I'm over-exaggerating. That, that's why I'm asking about that oh, sort of, of rebellious thing. But I also think that's, that's a thing when you're young, you don't think about it. And also when you're young, you try things out. And when you're young, you're there to do things. I remember when I came to London, I performed literally in every music society of this country in front of five people for no money um, and I did programs and repertoire which I think I would never, will never sing in my life again. How long again. were you doing that for? Sorry for how, how long? were you doing I'm those kind doing of... <laughs> no, I mean, no, but you're not, you're not singing in front of five people though. Um, well, I came in 2010 so I think I did it till 2013, 14. And there were small audiences and there wasn't any guarantee of where this would go? No. And also really repertoire where you afterwards think why the hell did I choose it it completely went off the trail uh, tracks or it uh, it went well so you have to push your boundaries as well and I think there's something we all have to consider yes of course people pay for tickets and want to have the best performance and you know have standards but is that really what art and music is about or shall we actually also risk more and uh, yeah, work together on failing and learning out from it. Because I realize when your career goes up and up, you don't try things out. You always sing the same repertoire where you actually think you can present yourself in the best way. I don't think I hear, I, I know of many people, I'm just reaching for my tea, you know, for the sake of, 
for the sake of the audio so that I don't need to edit it. Uh, d do you sense that there aren't many people in the industry who would be comfortable talking about failing? I think so. I think it gets uh, things changed in the last few years, of course, because generally uh, in society uh, discussions about mental health um, and so on uh, are more present than ever before. But um, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line because you also don't want to drag on as an artist about your mental health or what what your fears are and so on. Uh, is that really something the audience oh, has to because know? Because that that gets in the way of actually your role as a performer, which yeah, is to really something, something you you are perform on stage and you're not a. People always think you're a private person and they know you. Uh, when they come afterwards to the green room, they always, there are some people who think they are your best friends, but actually they don't know me at all. But they know me from stage. So we have to find always a good balance. Today it's all about balance. Uh, uh, in this in this respect, somehow I cannot go to the green room after a concert. People have, when I go to concerts abroad, uh, PRs who sort of invited me will go, "Oh, do you want to come backstage?" And I just think, "No, no, the concert's over. I don't want to meet them. They probably don't want to meet me. They probably want to go home." Um, how do you deal with the green room thing? I love it. Do you? <laughs> do no. you? Um, oh, you're being sarcastic. No. <laughs> so Fischer Disco, for example, he had a period in his life where he just uh, walked home. He didn't want to see anyone. Who? Fischer Disco. Oh. Um, so he said that the green room is the place where there are the most lies in the world because everyone tells you afterwards how amazing you are, whatever they really think about you. So um, wow. I, th I think... That's tough. <laughs> I mean, you have quite interesting experiences in the green room. There are some people who are really lovely and, and, and nice and honest. And also, uh, it's interesting to see how people put things in words, into words. Um, but you also experience people where you think, why the hell are they talking about that now? And as a young musician, you really... It's a dangerous moment because you get so many feedback, yes. so much feedback, yes. and it can completely go into different directions. One says this one, the other one says this one, and you get lost. And that's what I, when I work with uh, young singers, I always talk about that because it's very important that you have your circle of people whom you trust. And it can be your singing teacher, your vocal coach, uh, the pianist, but also people who are not musicians, friends, family, parents, which is very intuitive because very often their feedback is more helpful than anyone else. Presumably it's a point in time as well when the adrenaline is beginning to wear off. I mean that's my assumption because you know, you stepped off stage even if you're able to manage your response to adrenaline um, you step off stage you're in a rest space and then you've got this other select audience firing things at you just at the moment in time when the body's going I've had enough. Yes but also we have to make sure that everyone who comes to our concert comes because of us and uh, we have to appreciate that that they take the time that they pay sometimes uh, money for the tickets that they really uh, make an effort to come more now after this pandemic more than ever before um, so i think you have to really appreciate these people and and they're wonderful people as well i mean they're really it's wonderful to see some friends or, or fam familiar faces but it's also very important to learn how to uh, deal with people who are not leaving. Uh, so there are also people <laughs> who Sorry, just, you, know. you didn't mean that to be funny, but that's, no, I that's meant a nice that. turn of phrase. You seem not to be leaving. <laughs> no, it, there are some people who have a lot to, to tell. And um, that was a lesson I learned from uh, Rini Fleming when I saw her once backstage and observed her. 
she is so kind and wonderful and really focused on the person she talks to, but she's also a master after a certain amount of time to, in the most charming, wonderful way, give very clear the feeling to the people when that time is out. Leave. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and obviously you are able to do that now. I'm not as good as she is, right. so there's still a there's way still, to go. There's still some development necessary. Exactly. Uh, what, was the, what was the decision-making process, aside from the, the possibility of a documentary film, what was the decision-making process for you and James to actually record this epic work? What are the kind of discussions that you have before going, OK, yeah, all right, then we'll do it? Well, of course, you ask you, uh, the same question as you asked yourself, uh, why, why does the world need another recording? Um, it's a waste of time and energy. Um, but it is, it is like a business card as well for yourself. And it is also something where you... I normally never listen back to albums. I hate listening to myself. Um, so when, and you have to listen a lot when yes. you get I mean, the edit. It's part of the job, isn't yeah, it? To the edit and you have to talk to the uh, sound engineer and, and producer. That's all right. But after this is done, I normally never listen to my own recordings. But actually with Winterreise is the first one where I now listen back. Um, and it's just, you know, a, a little moment in your professional life where you record something and you really put a lot of effort and love and time into it and uh, it was the recording as I said before of, of October 2021 so I see it also with such a, an important work I'm 2040 this year so it is somewhere in the starting you get into a with a baritone you can get on quite long but it starts to get into a new period of artistic life so I also thought it's the right time to do such a piece um, to just mark it as a dog. It is, it is bleak, is it not? I mean, it is. I, I read the notes about it, and it's bleak. It is or, bleak. Yeah. But strangely, I find it incredibly, incredibly hopeful. I don't know. There's something with this music and with Schubert as well which always in the end, although he talks always about death and, you know, dreadful dark things, but it, he somehow is someone who is very sincere and honest. And in this music, there's always something so positive. And that, that in the end, what I also realized when I prepared even more for this recording, so I, um, it's music which about someone who looks out for light. And it's like a painting, in a, a good painting, when you have whatever, a sun on the, or a moon on the painting, you always need a contrast background to it, so that you actually can really focus on it. And that's a little bit like also with the Winterreise. I think you have to focus on the light, on the light moment, of the hopeful moments. And what I also find extraordinary, yes, it's a cycle about being on your own and traveling on your own and being generally on your own, but it ends up with... A, a companion in the end so the end actually it's the first time another human being comes into the cycle and that I find also is an extraordinary extraordinary moment the other questions that I have in my mind about it is stems from other parts of my work where I'm having to I'm having to help I support people in building I hate the phrase, building new and younger audiences, but doing it, doing it online in different walks of life, so doing it across social media. And it strikes me that this is, uh, this is 
I mean, it's beautiful and it's epic and it's bleak and it's utterly, utterly compelling. But also, it's a very difficult sell for someone between the ages of, say, 18 or 25, given given the what what this uh, piece of art is competing with in the digital space or in the outside world. So I'm just trying to work out how how you would seek to connect this work with younger people now, given what they are distracted by. A German popular singer was on a TV show recently a few weeks ago, and he didn't bring any of his music, but he sang actually in this talk show. So every, it's a weekly talk show, and they always invite some artists, and so he have one one uh, spot to uh, to perform, and one slot to perform, and he decided to sing a piece for Winterreise. And what was extraordinary to see on camera, how every member of the audience, and these are people who are not coming to classical concerts, uh, very mixed audience, particularly very young people, were completely blown away by this music. And there are certain songs in this music which is absolutely contemporary music as well. Um, so it, that's what I find with Schubert most extraordinary. And it's so... It's all about the emotions, and that's what I also try now with the project I do in Germany. So I go into schools um, with an educational project. This exists very often, but what I struggle so much is that we classical musicians go to schools and present our art, and it's very patronizing somehow. So this is a project where I actually go into schools, and uh, I haven't done it yet, but I'm working with two two pedagogues on that. I go there and the young people, I'm singing, but uh, the young people tell me what their music is, why they listen to this music. Hopefully we try to find also some who want to make music. And the idea is then going with these young uh, students uh, into elderly's home and perform both music, me, my classical music, and these people, their music they love, uh, together to elderly people. And to find bridges and connections on an emotional level between those those songs because in the end then modern songs are nothing else uh, nothing different to, to what you had wrote if you break it down uh, this will seem quite self-absorbed but I did uh, in preparation for the interview I did did actually write about whether one of the distractions was because I was listening to Peter Pears and Britain from 1963 and and obviously Pears' voice is just like nothing on earth but also it's quite I imagine for a younger audience it's quite an aloof sound because it's it sounds like high art and so I wondered whether there was something about the quality of the voice or the or the the timbre of the voice that in for modern day audiences it will feel distant hence why I thought well maybe somebody's recorded it with a pop voice uh which is what you told me (laughs) and it wasn't no obviously it wasn't you but clearly it it withstands that kind of treatment or could withstand that treatment I think when we try out with song recitals and I think song recitals give so many opportunities even virtual reality or working together with other art forms or changing places we only have two two musicians on stage so I think we really have to push into every direction what people people our classic audience gets very often upset by that but I think what's very important that they understand as well as we do that we don't want to replace the classical way of performing song recitals as it has been done and will continue doing it. But we try to just 
again push boundaries and and sort things out or try to sort things out within ourselves how we perform it uh, to whom we perform it and and bringing it into our time as well um, so but as I said these are all just additions to the real conservative traditional song recital how's your relationship with the work changed over time particularly with Winterreise or generally no with Winterreise it changed a lot um, I think I became more brave. Um, I take more time. I change sometimes some tempo. Um, I spend more time with certain words and then uh, with other ones uh, I put less focus in. I th it changes all the time. So I think I became more brave and, and think a little bit musically out of the box. And also, um, as I said before, this is a great piece because it can go into every direction. Uh, so it can get more angry, it can get more lost, it can go, get in a more loving way. So there are thousands of ways of interpretation and I've done it many, many times in the last few months. Um, and with other music I think I would get absolutely tired by now and I couldn't cope with it anymore. But uh, I just came back from, from America where we'd, we've done it and I talked to James about it and it's actually a piece where every evening looks different and that's that's very rewarding. If you were to describe the work as a whole and your connection with it um, in terms of an animal, what animal would that be? Something, something which is quite slow, it takes a lot of time, maybe a snail, a bit slimy. No, is that uh, an animal? I don't know that a snail is an animal. Really? Is it? What is it then? I don't, well, okay. Is okay, it food? No, I don't know. <laughs> It's, it's not a vegetable, is that isn't it? Isn't that like a hard stare that you've got there? <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, it's a good okay, question. So you're going, you're going for a snail. Do you want to revive No, it's uh, well, or something very gliding in the air, like an eagle or something. Maybe eagle, not too much. Okay. I mean, there's a crow in the in the cycle, but uh, I don't think the entire cycle is, is a crow. Um, I don't know, but the, maybe it's not one animal. Right. It's a chameleon. Okay. Very much. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you? I mean, you look almost you, relieved. You didn't ask me what I had for breakfast. Well, no, because you made it quite <laughs> clear at the beginning that you didn't want to be asked that. That's why I asked you. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. Follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter at Thoroughly Good, Thoroughly underscore good on Instagram, and Thoroughly Good Me on Facebook. The Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast is available on any half-decent podcast platform, like Google or Amazon, plus some others you might not have heard of.